in healthcare, we teach our clinicians to introduce the kinds of questions we want to ask to patients about, whether it's abuse or whatever, with the question, is home a safe place? And when I would ask patients that, some of them would get it and their eyes would get big and some would say, wait a minute, what what do you mean is home a safe place? But we're going to talk about that today, about whether home is a safe place. And in this episode, we'll be talking about intimate partner violence and abuse. And if you feel the contents of this topic is too difficult to listen to, we'll be back next time with something that's a little easier for you. But if you're listening and this is hard, make sure you're in a safe place and you have people around you. In our studio, we're talking with Ellie Goldberg, who's a licensed clinical social worker, and she's the assistant director for advocacy and victim survivor advocate at the Center for Student Wellness at the University of Utah. And Ellie's going to help us make this real but not too scary. Thanks, Ellie. Ah, thank you for having me. So... We're going to be talking about the seven domains and domestic violence. We're going to talk about violence in the home, whether it's emotional, spiritual, physical, financial. We're going to cover all the seven domains. So we know that awful things can happen to people outside the home, but where often a lot of the violence happens is in the home. Right. So do people come to you and talk about their home situation? Absolutely. So how would you... Define domestic violence or domestic abuse. How do you define that? First of all, we like to say that our clients can define what is happening to them however they want. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So if folks come in and they say, this is happening and this, this, and this, what is going on with me? How do you define this? We try to explore how they conceptualize what, for example, domestic violence is to them, what that means to them. Their definitions can be impacted by their culture, by their upbringing, by their faith, by lots of different factors. So each individual defines things differently. Um, However, we do have state policies that define domestic violence, and we also have university policies that define domestic violence. So going with those, it is violence of any type between intimate partners who live together or have lived together. And actually, more recently, a component has been added to the definition um, that is if folks have had an an intimate relationship. So if they've had a sexual relationship or do have a sexual relationship, um, it can be considered domestic violence. Right. So intimate partner violence suggests that there's violence between intimate partners. But in in the home, of course, we know that not just intimate partners can be violent against each other, but we can be violent against our children or our parents. And I was thinking a little bit about cultural norms and that there's some cultures, and of course I think of cultures which are very hierarchical where the man runs the show and partner violence is considered a norm. It's considered somewhat acceptable. I don't think it's ever acceptable, but both the man and the woman might think, and the culture itself might consider it acceptable. Yeah. So here we're in the U.S., we're in the in Utah, and you have students from all over the world. And how do you deal with that when they come in? If they've defined it as violence, then you accept that definition. Absolutely. We yeah. believe that if someone has been harmed or is being harmed, they're feeling unsafe, they um, have been impacted, they're experiencing trauma, that they can define it however they want, and they're eligible for our services, and we will start where they are, explore how the violence and the harm and the trauma is impacting them 
and then figure out what their options are and help them decide how they want to move forward. I like the word, the phrase that you use, trauma-informed. Mm-hmm. Help me understand that because it's so powerful, a phrase or a set of words. It's the way you think about taking care of someone. Yeah. And I think it's something that not just in clinical or in kind of helping professions, being trauma-informed just is understanding what trauma is, how it impacts people in lots of different ways, like in the seven domains of health, and the prevalence of trauma. I think understanding that all of us have experienced some type of trauma at different levels in childhood, as adults, but really I would say understanding what trauma is, understanding the prevalence, and then being open to supporting folks, um, at least knowing what the resources are and getting folks connected with those resources, whether that's friends, family, intimate partners, or colleagues, anything, just understanding what trauma does to people, you know, how you can support and be compassionate and empathetic. We have a refugee, we have refugees here in Salt Lake City, and certainly have had refugees from around the world come to settle in the U.S. And for many, many of those women, not only did they experience trauma within the refugee camps in their country, but even before that, Mm -hmm. they experienced trauma in their homes. And actually, I think of, I'm a mother-in-law, and I know in some cultures, mother-in-laws are so powerful that they abuse young brides of their sons. And Mm -hmm. so this is such a big cultural issue for us. And I think we kind of, sometimes we normalize it on TV, or we normalize physical abuse among intimate partners. And um, have you watched Big Little Lies? Yeah. That at the center of this very, very popular award-winning TV show, at the very core of this was a very abusive Mm -hmm. relationship. Yeah. And both members were involved in this abuse, but it was... It was horrifying to watch. And by having it out there, I don't know whether it helped people come forward or did it just normalize, like, oh, this is what happens. It was a difficult thing to see. Yeah, it was. And I, you know, spoiler uh, (laughs) alert, but in the second season, the mother-in-law comes into play and is really blaming um, Nicole Kidman's character. I can't remember her name for the family being broken apart, for her husband dying and is trying to take her kids away. She's played by Meryl Streep, the mother-in-law. You know, it's such an awesome show. And I think it does, you know, it's a glamorous show. It's very aesthetically beautiful. It's got such an amazing cast. But I would say that it's very disturbing. It's very disturbing. And the young character, all these women are beautiful and incredibly smart and very wealthy, except for a younger character who comes to this little town. And partly she's been the victim of rape. Yeah. And she has so much memory trauma from that rape. Yeah. Oh. And it's it's interesting to draw it back with kind of their socioeconomic status on that show and then talking about folks with refugee backgrounds. Right. Actually, what drew me to this job and this point in my career is that I worked with, um, I've been a social worker for a long time and I worked with all sorts of different folks. I actually worked with folks in refugee and immigrant communities, with kids in crisis, with older adults, with dementia and their families. And I noticed that It didn't matter what people's identities were, their backgrounds. There was a common thread of interpersonal violence. Right. And so, you know, it kind of, I I decided after having worked in the community um, that I wanted to focus in on helping folks who have or are experiencing interpersonal violence. This doesn't excuse anything, anyone, but we are not 
Um, we are very social and we, as a species, we're capable of great empathy, mm-hmm. but we're capable of great violence. And our nearest neighbors, we have two nearest um, neighbors in the great apes. One are the bonobos and the others are the chimpanzees. And the chimpanzees are violent and they rape yeah. and they are very violent to among their peers and to others. Bonobos fix everything with love. Mm. Not that they can't be violent if, if a male starts in on a female all the females gang up and, and start beating up the guys. So, but they use sex in different ways. And so we are our own species and we're not always very nice. I'm hoping we're getting toward nicer. Yeah. So the social aspects of domestic violence are complicated because there are cultures that do normalize it. But getting to the emotional aspects, I think that the background of every abusive relationship is this sense that if it happens more than once, a woman must be so traumatized that she doesn't stand up or she can't stand up and she feels like she deserves it. And why must be depressed and anxious? Her emotional life must be traumatized completely. Then yeah. I always wonder why women don't leave. But I've always had the resources. If anything had happened to me, thank God it didn't. I had the resources to walk out. Many women don't. Yeah, I think because intimate partner violence, domestic violence in families and with, you know, child-free couples, it is so complex and it there are so many intertwining factors. I mean, one of the most common things that I hear when folks come in um, who have experienced domestic violence is that they don't want to ruin their abuser's life. They don't want to call the police. Um, there's lots of different factors around that. If they are undocumented or if their husband is black and they don't want to put another black man in the system, oh, um, oh, yeah. they love and care for the person. They're obviously intimate partners, so they have you know a spiritual connection and a romantic connection. And if they're the parent of their children, of course, that adds in an, a whole other layer, but there's financial pieces. Um, folks are dependent. You know, a lot of times partners who are women are dependent right. uh, financially or their partner controls the finances. Um, well, let's talk about that just yeah. a little bit, because I think in terms of the risks of for abuse, I think certainly being a female is the number one risk for domestic violence. Just being female, being minority female mm-hmm. is another. But relationships when there's power disparity and financial disparity uh, keeps women from going because a relationship can be financially abusive just if one person who has the money hides the money and doesn't give that person any kind of financial independence or even let them know what resources they can call on. Right, right. They don't have passwords to bank accounts. They don't have their own checking account or access to a checking account. We even see with financial abuse partners that won't allow their spouse to work to make their own money or that they will have their paycheck if they do work direct deposited into an account that they don't have access to. Um, so employment plays a role in that. I definitely see financial abuse in lots of different ways, but it's, you know, you can't survive without money. <laughs> no, and you can't leave without money. Right. Uh, there are resources, though. Mm-hmm. I think that the why here in town has tried to help people leave uh, in abusive situations and Often people would leave on their own. They could make it on their own, but they can't leave their kids. And that's something that's powerful with their children. I just learned about a resource at South Valley Services, which Uh is a shelter, and they also have community case management and things like that out on the southwest side of the valley. They have um, a financial empowerment component to their services where they help with 
um, match savings and debt repayment and an emergency fund and things like that that will help folks be able to get out of their you know situations and recover from financial abuse that's that's had long-term impacts on them. I have heard of men in relationships that will take out credit cards in their spouse's name, max them out. And right. so after someone leaves even, um, they're not able to, you know, they have a terrible credit score and their money's all gone. And even thinking about, you know, those long-term pieces of debt repayment, that's a service that is needed out right. there. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's new for me. I mean, I think of United Way and I think of umbrella servicing Services where you could call and say, this is happening to me. Where can I access help? Yeah. I mean, you call 911. Well, financial isn't, 911 right. isn't a financial resource right. for yeah. women who are being emotionally abused or right. financially abused. Yeah. Yeah. The YWCA and Family Justice Center in downtown Salt Lake mm-hmm. are a fabulous resource. And then South Valley Services is another really great resource. Or folks. Well, as we think about uh, financial resource and you think about women not being able to leave because they can't take their children, um, I think a lot about what happens to children who witness um, emotional or physical abuse in the family. That is considered one of the adverse childhood events that leads mm-hmm. to long-term hypertension, depression, anxiety, and maybe behaviors that perpetuate that abuse. Absolutely. Yeah. I worked um, at Salt Lake County Youth Services in the Juvenile Receiving Center doing crisis and family therapy. And we saw, you know, really resilient, amazing, you know, strong kids who also had a lot of behavior issues and had a lot of um, impulse control issues, substance abuse. You could tell that that was because of behavior that was modeled and just really ingrained trauma. And you could see patterns even in, you know, early adolescence in relationships that were really unhealthy. The model now suggests that kids who are exposed to early childhood emotional trauma or witness trauma, that stress remodels their brain for handling stress. They don't handle stress. They become reactive children. Yeah. However they might react, they can't calm themselves as well. They become a little hyperactive. They're always stressed. And that's partly a learned response, but it, the brain has been remodeled. Right. And that's a pretty difficult thing to try to deal with, both as a mom who wants to keep the family together, but their children continue to witness yeah. this. It is actually illegal. In the state of Utah, there's an enhancement to domestic violence charges. If it is domestic violence in the presence of a child, it is an enhancement to a criminal charge. And what that means is the person might get a longer sentence right. or a higher fine or Mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, and it's DCFS involvement, and um, there's a a pretty strong consequence, of course. Not all domestic violence rises to criminal involvement, but I think that that shows that even, you know, on a a criminal level or a statewide level, that that is something that is recognized as, as a huge problem with lasting impacts. Right. So the question I have as a provider If a woman confides in me that she's being physically abused, she's an adult. I do not have by law the requirement to report that. If she's doing it in the presence of a child, if she's being abused, do I have to report that? I mean, the child isn't being directly abused, but the child is is at the corner of an abusive relationship. Yeah, I think it would. I mean, I'm always a big fan of just calling DCFS if you suspect any sort of abuse of a child. But I think... Yeah, I I would say that emotional and psychological 
um, abuses could be as damaging or even more damaging than physical abuse. And I think it happens a lot more frequently in, in domestic violence relationships. Yeah, I think that there's definitely a reason to call and get an intervention and help for that family. Well, we've been thinking and reading more about how drugs, particularly stimulants or drugs which are disinhibitors like alcohol or meth can be part of pattern of domestic violence, particularly alcohol. Mm -hmm. But I read an interesting article that in states where they legalized marijuana, um, serious physical domestic abuse events had gone down. Interesting. When you think of men drinking too much or women drinking too much and getting violent, but it's really hard for me to think of someone, you know, getting a little high and getting violent. It's not part of the marijuana picture. Have you heard anything about this? these news? So people who might use marijuana instead of alcohol to relax tend to be less physically violent. That's interesting. I haven't... Not that I'm suggesting that uh, we <laughs> add another thing to that people can be addicted to, but in states where they're following this and people are using more THC for relaxation than alcohol, the rates of physical violence have gone down in domestic abuse. It's fascinating. <laughs> no, I know. I know. Just, hey, just chill, dude. Just chill out. Just chill out. Well, back to environmental issues. Do you think there's any season? Do you think there's any? Summer. Summer? Yeah. I don't know if there's research behind this. I think there is some data there. When it gets hot, people's tempers get get short. Exactly. Their tempers get short. Um, A lot of times kids are off school, so they're home, and that adds a layer of stress. Mm -hmm. Um, But a couple summers ago, we had, in the span of two, you know, two and a half months, I think we had eight pretty serious domestic violence cases come in. And usually summers are a little more chill for us. Right, because Uh, students are, you know, mm -hmm. are off, or, I mean, they're maybe not in the classroom. And yeah, so I think that people have suggested summer. I mean, holidays are stressful, yeah, and people are often drinking more. But um, when it gets hot, summer in the city, yeah, it's very pretty. And when people are hot, they just get short. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I do. I, <laughs> I don't harm other people, but I, I do. I can lemonade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what I need when I get hot. Yeah. Well, what about education? There's a myth that only poor women are abused, and there's a myth that smart women are not abused. And I think that that's a myth. Those are myths. Those are myths because we know, and you work here at the university. And so you're working with students and faculty and staff, all pretty well educated. Yeah. How do we begin to use education to help women and men rise above this pattern of violence in their home? I think creating awareness um, that this is an issue, that it goes across all spectrums of identities and socioeconomic status and education level and race and ethnicity and faith. Um, getting the awareness out there that this is an issue and also the awareness of what domestic violence is. Teaching about healthy relationships, teaching about unhealthy relationships. What are pink flags and what are red flags ooh, um, that ooh, show t- up? <laughs> tell me about a pink flag. What's yeah. a pink flag? I think a pink flag is kind of a, a lower level on the spectrum of abuse. Just patterns maybe that are emerging um, with power or with control, with jealousy, different things like that, that haven't risen to the level where the person would consider them abuse or a red flag, but are just these emerging patterns or just this stuff where you get a gut feeling that it's not right or it's unhealthy. Yeah, but that may be some pink flags early in a relationship about money. People mm-hmm. don't want to talk about money. People are controlling about money, and abuse is all about control. Yeah. Whether whoever's doing it. Yeah, and, and so, we see a, a lot of, especially with students 
social media and technology and internet, you know, different kind of internet venues and types of media, we definitely see a lot of pink flags starting to emerge when there's kind of like surveillance or who are you friends with? Whose posts are you liking? Um, You're posting pictures with this group of friends. Why are there all these guys in there? You know? Um, Yeah. So we see a, a lot of emerging cyber sort of pink and red flags and different things like that. Well, so what's a red flag? Well, I think that's where the power and control starts to become really apparent. Obviously, physical abuse, kind of preventing someone from leaving a room or taking away car keys or uh, different things like that. I think what you would consider normal abuse are these red flags or the anger management isn't there. Someone's blowing up and in fits of rage. Someone's um, using substances and getting to the point where they're abusing their partner. Those are yeah. some red flags. But yeah, I like the comment of uh, pink flags because I think I understand exactly what you mean, but giving it a name, yeah, a pink flag, is powerful. Yeah, And people know it. They say, this just doesn't feel good anymore. Yeah. This relationship has this edge to it over these issues. And I feel threatened. Have you ever hit you? No, he's never hit me, but I just... I just feel threatened. My my chest gets tight when we talk about things like this or when he yells at me or when he yells about somebody else. And I don't like that. We always tell the women we work with to trust their gut. If they are feeling like something is off, they are right. Um, they know their bodies. They know what a healthy relationship means to them. And mm-hmm. so a lot of women, I think, throughout their lives are kind of told to not trust their gut. But we definitely say, you know, if you feel like something's off, something is off. Trust your gut. Go right. with your instincts. They're right. So do you, have any, do you have any myths, myth busting? Do you have any myths when you talk to people or train people about domestic abuse or abusive relationships? We do a lot of um, busting the myth that it is the victim's fault. That is um, something that comes up of, you know, for, for whatever reason. And this could be a really overt statement or really covert kind of underlying attitude towards domestic violence that somehow the woman brought it on. She did something to deserve it. She did something to piss her husband off or her partner. That might be the message that she gets from him too. Yeah. Or whoever is doing the abusing isn't always, it could be same sex couples can Mm -hmm. be abusive too, but was that the the abuser will say, you made me do this. Yeah. And that's internalized. Well, and it happens when women go back to their partners, like you chose to go back. So you were asking for it because you should have left. And I think the statistic is, is that a partner will go back seven times before they permanently leave um, a situation. Yeah. And that could be physically or it could just be like the relationship's over. It's back on. It's over. It's back on. Um, But I want to say, if I'm recalling correctly, it's seven times. So, yeah, there's potential for for victim blaming in that. And that's the biggest myth. Uh, You know, an important thing to consider is just that it does impact people in different ways. So there's no perfect victim or no perfect survivor. Um, I think this just speaks to trauma in general, but we experience trauma. We experience abuse and the harm from abuse in so many different ways. And it can look very, very different person to person. One of the huge impacts um, that we see kind of in the immediate aftermath of interpersonal violence is the ability to not really be able to focus or remember things or remember things in order. It's actually a physiological response to trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, if people can't really like, they're not telling the same story, you know, to an investigator, for example, 
like things kind of happened this way. No, they actually happened that way. Um, this was the timeline. No, 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 no. It was actually this came first and then that happened. I think that makes people look not credible. That makes well, survivors look is, not credible. It's toxic to the yeah. hippocampus. There's a center in our brain where we, how it helps triage memory and yeah. anxiety is toxic to the hippocampus and people lay down memories abnormally or they don't remember things at all. Yeah. And it becomes very difficult. And so people say, I must be losing my mind, you know, and it's like, well, no, this you're experiencing things which are changing the way your brain is yeah. remembering things. You don't have access to that part of your brain and it's not right. your fault. It's just the way that your body's responding. Uh-huh. Well, in our in in our world, we see it as chronic pain. So, a very high percent of women with chronic headaches or chronic pelvic pain or chronic back pain. Um, that chronic pain for which we're having a hard time pinning down exactly why this person is not resilient compared to the other person who's doing fine is a history of abuse. And I think also people might come with pain. They want to talk about their real pain, which is the violence that they're experiencing, but that's not what they can get into the doctor for. They feel like the doctor's office is a safe place, but if the doctor doesn't ask as part of the workup for their headaches, is home a safe place, you may not get the answer for what's really happening. Yeah. And I think that's why we need to, as clinicians, just remember that that little phrase, is home a safe place, and just let people open up in the way they can talk about why it isn't safe. Yeah. Well, I've been also thinking some about spiritual abuse. And I think because many women feel that they are spiritual persons, but the way they practice their spirituality may be inhibited by their partner, by the person that they live with. But you would think of religious communities as being a place of safe haven, but sometimes religious communities allow intimate partner violence and to be perpetuated. Yeah, I've seen it go both. That? Yeah, I've seen it go both ways. Um, I've seen faith communities be very, very supportive. And actually, I had a situation or a, a case that I worked with where, really, that their church saved them. They were able to get them into um, a new place to live. Um, they took care of their children. I mean, they gave them financial resources until they could get on their feet. I think they really recognized um, that it was a serious and, and dangerous situation and. I worked closely with the faith leader in that and we coordinated to really get this woman out and her children out and into a safe place. Um, But I've also, I think more rarely have seen um, a community maybe turn against or or victim blame someone that's experiencing IPV. Yeah. I think um, in particularly religions where the cultural norm is for men to be in the positions of power, mm-hmm. and therefore the husband is often in a position of power, and therefore perhaps it's his right to behave in a certain way, or mm-hmm. it's tolerated more. Right. But I think that for many women, their religion and their spirituality is their source of a safe haven, and finding that in a community, not just in themselves, their own prayer, prayer life is important to them, but having someone in the religious community would be really important. Too. Yeah. But of course... If the situation is serious, if you are in serious physical trouble right now, 911 will get you the most immediate resources. However, if you're struggling and you feel like you'd like to get more help, uh, what can we do for, for people who are listening? Where can they go? A really great resource that is 
24-7 phone number that you can call locally in Utah is the Utah Domestic Violence Link Line. And that's 1-800-897-LINK, which is 1-800-897-5465. And they are staffed by experts in domestic violence that can get you connected to resources very quickly. Um, I also think a couple really good resources in the community are the YWCA and Family Justice Center. The Family Justice Center um, in downtown Salt Lake has lot like dozens of different partners that are there that can help address those seven domains, right? So they have forensic nurses that are there, DWS that can help with kind of case management. They have uh, and and food stamps and different you know impacts on on financial and kind of the case management of life. Yeah, they have every resource that you can imagine for survivors of domestic violence at the Family Justice Center. I guess if you call the 1-800 number here in Salt Lake and you say, but I'm in Tennessee, they probably have the resources that will help you in Tennessee. Yeah. And in fact, if you call the domestic violence link line in Utah and the wait time is too long, they just connect you with the national one. Great. So you could use that number wherever you might be. Well, at least in the U.S. in terms of, of helping people get access to help in their community. Yeah. And then, of course, I have to plug the University of Utah Center for Student Wellness, our Victim Survivor Advocacy Program. Uh, We can be reached at 801-581-7776. And our email that you can email for an appointment to meet with an advocate is advocate at sa.utah.edu. And we serve any student faculty or staff member at the University of Utah who's experienced any type of interpersonal violence. Right. And that's a big number. As I think about all the people who come to our town, our 50,000 person town at the north end of the valley. I th- um, so I think the business about reaching out can also be very threatening. You have to oh, yeah. find a time when you're alone, when it's safe for you to reach out. If someone's taking your phone, if someone's always watching what you do. If you don't have access to keys, you can't go out and go grocery shopping. There's no opportunity for you to actually reach out in an incredibly controlling situation. But mostly women can, I think, or men, depending, this isn't always women, if they can find a place where they can uh, have some privacy to make a call. Yeah, a doctor. This is, is where, a great, yeah. I this think is that's a, really a very reasonable, I think this is why people come in with chronic pain and what they really want is some help with what's mm-hmm. happening at home. Is home a safe place? Yeah. So I like to end as I think about the seven domains with a little haiku. And I've got a little one here for us. This just isn't right. My home is not a safe place. I'm strong, not alone. Thanks for joining us on The Seven Domains.